Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You're listening to a podcast from the Word. Or, just, or that's or a massive pile of master bags like that, and just try. Okay, let's get going. I never worked with master bags. Yeah. We were always uh, we were always racking straight away, uh, racking, racking um, them out straight away. So Rob Fitzpatrick, I think the, your first task on the Word podcast. Hello. Welcome, Rob. Hello. Uh, welcome, Fraser Lurie. Hello. It is to explain what the master bag system. The master bag was. system. This is very interesting. The master bag system was a, was a system where uh, you would take copies. You'd have a, an LP and a cassette, and later on a CD. And, you, and the LP, you'd take the record and the paper sleeve out of the sleeve, and you stick it in a master bag, which was like a blank white record cover. And then on there, you'd have uh, a little sticker at the top, and as they got used more and more, the sticker could be three or four inches out. It was so, <laughs> and then what you'd have is you'd have... There's a, there's a beauty in master bags, actually. And the more I think of it, I'm actually getting a, a rush, a Proustian rush thinking about master bags. I really am. I, my skin's, my hairs are on end. Um, you would, you'd put the record in and then you'd fill it out so it would be, you know, uh, Hot House Flowers, uh, whatever the first Hot House Flowers record was called. And then you'd have, the, you'd have the dealer price, the sale price, and then in brackets you could have the price it was got, so it might be six ninety nine. Who knows? Could be. And then you'd have the distributor, could be Pinnacle, wasn't in that case, obviously. It was whoever it was. London, I think. London. <laughs> London, remember them people. And then underneath you'd have the catalogue number. And then underneath that, you'd have the date it came in times however many. So if it hot house flowers, let's say five. And, uh, and then, of course, a year later, you'd still have five. <laughs> uh, and so the, the poetry was in the ones that lasted again and again. You'd have, one, you'd have ones that would have hundreds that would have gone for years that would have sold... Hundreds and hundreds of copies. Tubular bells. Tubular bells, yeah, something yeah. like that. And in fact, you go through third and fourth master bags. You used to, in theory, you're meant to have written them on. And other ones, we just have, you have a brand new master bag with a brand new sticker on it, blah, 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 times ten, never sold. Yes. Never sold a one, never sold a light. And that is the fate of yeah, most records. That's the fate of most records. But what, there was a guy I used to work with at uh, a, a record shop uh, who, it, when he was famous for, when he went to parties, he would... Oh, this is oh, unbelievable. <laughs> when he went to parties, him and his mate, who also worked behind the counter of this record shop, would recite lists of catalogue numbers because in HMV in the late 80s, the cassettes were, were filed by catalogue number. And so they would recite ILPC, yeah. you know. ILPS. cassette, you're right. Whatever. You know, 30251. I don't think, in, like that, and 
I can't imagine why he didn't get punched. See, <laughs> Maybe he did, I don't know. The record was heavily changed. Initially, all the records were filed by catalogue number as well. So you got yeah. to know the numbers of the... Of yeah, the, the catalogue numbers of were... the records we had lots of copies of. Yeah. So you'd start at the yeah. top left... Yeah, with AAA-ABC, <laughs> the anchor label, yeah. Yeah. yes? Yeah. And, and down... Was there anybody with the catalogue number beginning with the Z? A ZZT release or something, probably. Oh, right, OK. So you'd map out where the Beatles were by where kind of... I don't know, PC... Was. Yeah, but it made it more complicated because, of course, American releases would be in a different place altogether than British releases. Yeah. Because oh, they had different catalogue numbers and different prefixes. But you also, Fraser, you were just saying, you used to operate the shrink wrap machine <laughs> for <laughs> the mighty HMV. Yes, wow. I did, Which is yeah. a very enviable job. Mm. Now, I've seen shrink wrap machines, and they're enormous great yeah. beasts, aren't they're they? They're like sort of iron yes, lungs yeah. for records, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a conveyor belt going through it? Yeah, and I, I, basically a set of records would, would arrive on the machine, and then I would pull a big kind of strip of shrink wrap over it, and then yeah. they would get funneled through this beautiful iron box and get <laughs> chopped off in the right places, yeah. and, and the heat would be applied, and they'd be shrink wrapped. Yeah, and then occasionally, I remember when I used to work years earlier at the HMV shop in, in Oxford Street, uh, they used to overheat from time to time. Yeah. Yes, and the smell of oh, burning, yeah. melting shrink wrap. Lovely, yeah. <laughs> is, uh, you know, very evocative for anybody. Is that there with creosote? Yeah. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was uh, a good time to talk about working in record shops. Obviously, because they're disappearing by the day. Yeah. Uh, but also, Fraser's written a fantastic piece in the current issue of Word, which is about your experience working in a very peculiar record shop, Fraser, which yes. is probably a lot of people... A lot of people outside London probably never come across. Tell us about the record and tape exchange. So when people were desperate, basically, they would come to us. If you had decent records, you'd go elsewhere because mm. you'd get paid more m- money for them. Whereas our prices were always dirt cheap. So yeah. what, what's, what's, what's the average transaction? Somebody comes in, well, they've just got a pile of records that they've decided that they can convert into cash. That they're, yeah. they're not playing them anymore. So, so what's, a, what's, a, what's a representative selection of titles that they might Well, this in? was the middle of the 80s when I worked there, and there was a lot of kind of Adamant albums and Paul Young albums and mm. Thompson Twin albums and... And the those things that everybody had bought in a rush Absolutely, of blood to the head yeah. and then thought better of two yeah, years Tracy later. Tracy Chapman LPs. Yeah. Sade LPs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Lots of Sade, yeah. yeah. But it's all Brothers people's record collections. Of course, they are, you know, initially at some point, these records meant something, a great deal to these people, and they think they're worth a lot of money because of that. Yeah. And that's the big fallacy there. Was, there. Yeah. But Isn't there was it? there was also the thing that people st- started hearing about, oh, this record, this Beatles record, is worth 100 quid. Therefore, yeah. my copy of... Uh, Love you know, Me Do on a Scratch 7 Inch. On a Scratch 7 Inch reissued from 1979, it's probably worth 50 quid. Yeah. And you, and, and, but you're always on the back foot if you're selling records because you, if you've lumped them into the shop and you go, <gasps> there you go, and a bloke goes, I'll give you a fiver for the lot. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yes. 99 times out of 100, you'll take the fiver. Yeah, you'll take the fiver. Yeah. You know. and, and that's a, a normal transaction, would yeah. be somebody bringing in their record collection, three feet of albums. Yeah. So I'll give you a fiver. Yeah. They've got a copy of Sade's Diamond Life. Yeah. Okay, so it's the late 80s. And you know you've got... A copy of Sade's Diamond Life. How much are you offering me, Fraser? For that individual record? Probably yeah, a penny. Because we, we, we have so many copies yeah. of that album so in the shop. it's basically not worth taking it into the yeah. shop. No, definitely not. You're better we're, off just We're going to sell it for ten pence. So we're not going to... Really? Write, yeah. It's cheap as that? We will rack it out for five pounds. Yeah. And every two weeks, the price gets reduced by 50p. And hope that you sell really? It. Yeah. So that was the technique, was it? 50p yeah. down every week. So everything finds its own level. Mm. And Charlie albums sold for ten pence. Yeah, this is. I was actually. I was in uh, uh, doing a bit of a charity shop haul the other day, and they've started to. Well, they haven't just started. They did it a few years ago, but they're trying to go for this kind of valuable vinyl oh, as well. God. And it's like what this they do. Like old phone shops. Yeah, old phone shops going. And but what I went. I was in this one the other day, and they. Uh, it was like, oh, here's our collectors' vinyl section, and it's like sort of. You know, Bob Dylan albums from 1988. <laughs> they want £10 for them. And it's, this, the whole point is, as Record and Tape Exchange showed, and also what, what used to happen in, in uh, charity shops, is basically it was 10p. 10p, 50p at most for an album. And that's the whole point of those records, is they're not worth anything to anybody. Yeah. They're just not. And there's a tiny proportion that are... But those don't turn up in charity shops, or they, no, they don't anymore. You know, we, occasionally, we used to get something amazing would turn up. Yeah. I, me- I remember this old lady coming in with some stuff she'd cleared out from her attic, and mm. the records belonged to her husband. And she had, and it was all grot. It was a yeah. terrible selection of records, yeah. and all filthy, dirty. Yeah. And right in the middle mm. 
there's this pristine BBC transcription disc of a Jimi Hendrix wow. session. From oh, the well, that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is yeah. a never commercially yeah. available. Yeah. This yeah. is somebody who worked at the BBC yeah. or somehow yeah. got yeah. hold of this. And thing. she's yeah. literally expecting three pounds for these records and we're able to give her like 500 quid because this one particular record. Oh, I didn't just give her three pounds. You did? Well, you we could have done. I mean, and, and, and we did... There's a twinge of human feeling in the hard-faced yeah, hippies yeah. behind the counter. Alternatively, I do remember selling a signed copy of Nevermind the Bollocks to a Japanese tourist, which had been signed by the staff <laughs> <laughs> for, a, for a lot of money. Oh, oh dear oh, God. Yeah. No, it's funny, this thing about charity shops, mm. because we touched on this before, I think, because I think they get a lot of these prices from head office. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think Oxfam yeah. head office issue a list saying Elton John records on the Rocket label yeah. or whatever. I know, but they're, they're £10. Pounds, but it's nonsense. They're not. I know, there's that. And also, actually, I was... I mean, the other thing is, when you say that, I mean, you must have got a few... There must have been a few times when someone came in with really amazing records. And, uh, and I mean, I, I worked in a, you know, a sort of chain record store for a long time, but I also worked in, uh, for an independent record store for a long time. And uh, there we'd sell new records and old records. And every now and again, you'd get amazing things. But most of it is junk. But every now and again, the, the, the classic one is, uh, oh, I don't know who that is, but uh, leave me alone. <laughs> uh, but the, the classic one was uh, just before, I, I used to work for Beggar's Banquet, and just before um, um, Ivo Watts Russell from uh, 4AD moved to America, he brought in all his LPs, all of them. And he had literally the best record collection in the world. So it was... You know, it was kind of, well, that's what it seemed like at the time. It was like sort of uh, original big star LPs and all the kind of, all the early um, Island and Harvest and all these things on original thick, heavy gatefold vinyl, all the early Neil Young's, uh, uh, like uh, Eno stuff, Roxy Music stuff. I mean, just brilliant records. And he just basically came in and went, you know, whatever, do what you want with them. I think we gave him like 100 quid or something. And the three of us behind the counter, me and Billy and Justin, just went, right. <laughs> so, I think about two items actually made it out onto the shelves. But this was like a once-in-a-lifetime. Yeah. But someone who really knows what they're talking about brings in the most amazing selection. But he's not bothered, really, about the money. No, because he, he was moving to America, and he just wanted to, uh, you know, he just wanted to get on with it. Because yeah. I had this experience recently. I, uh, I do this every few years. I actually sort out my vinyl at home into some rough semblance of alphabetical order. And I've actually written a piece in, about it in the current mm. issue of Word. Uh, and so, you know, just once every five years, you, you look at the loss of them. You yeah. see them. They're all in their, in their place. And, and a number of things strike you, which is, you know, uh, first and most obvious is how the hell did I get all these records? Yeah. You know, yeah. most of these records I don't really, really want. Mm. And, and then you think, there are probably a number of records here that, are, that have a value. Yeah. You know, a collectory value, you know, and a big star, you know, I've got big star yeah. records and art and yeah, 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 thick yeah. sleeves yeah. and all this kind of mm. carry on and the original Beatles so records. Now. Thanks. Thanks, Ivo. <laughs> <laughs> and I think to myself, you know, somebody said, oh, you should hang on to that. It could yeah. be worth a few quid. Yeah. Well, how many quid? Yeah, no, really. And, I mean, really. Yeah. You know, if I could get... I'd be interested in anybody listening to the podcast oh. who wants to buy my copy of the... You know, copies yeah. of the first two Big Star albums. Yeah. I'd be really interested to know what they would offer for them. Yeah. I would suggest it wouldn't be more than 20 quid. No. And in which case, why am I going to sell them? Yeah, I know. They're worth, if they're I weren't bothered enough about them... 20 quid isn't worth that sort of an inch of shelf space, is it? You know, it's like, the thing that always amazes me about... Antiques Roadshow, mm. is that people turn up there and they go, I got this thing handed down from my great-great-grandmother. Yeah. It's been in the family forever. We treasure it very, very much. Yeah. And explains it. And then it's pointed out to them that this is worth £1,500. And they go, oh, as if, well, it's not a life-changing sum no. of money for somebody who's turned up an Antiques Roadshow. No. And, no. and what are they going to do, flog it? No. Yeah. You know, if it's worth 1500 quid now, if you keep it for two more generations... Yeah. No, it might be worth an awful lot more, right? It might be just <laughs> yeah, be worth I think something it's in the very true. I mean, I, I was at I was at this I was at a friend's part. A friend, a friend of mine had this party the other day, and they out for some reason it was kind of during the day and into the evening. And somebody, there was like a little set of stalls outside during the day, and there were some people there selling records. And so obviously, you know, like a moth to a bloody flame. Yeah, <laughs> I spent half the time going to these records. Got dusty fingers. Yeah, dusty fingers. <laughs> I found this Youssef Latif record on Charlie Parker Records called <laughs> Lost in Sound. I thought, that's bloody amazing. And they wanted 50p for it. And I thought, 50p. 
This is like a 1961 Youssef Latif record. I'll definitely have that. And, I, and I've been trying to look... I can't find it anywhere on the internet about what it might potentially worth. I don't really care. But if it was... Uh, say it was worth 40 quid. I don't, I'd much rather have that thing yeah, than 40 quid. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think that's the point. Like, those Ardent records or whoever might be worth... Someone might go, well, you know what, Dave, I'll give you 50 quid for number one record. But I don't want 50 quid. I want that thing. And even if I I need just because I know it's there. Because also I can spend the next few years to go to people, do you know I got offered? Yeah, I know. And I'll have exaggerated 500 pounds for that. (laughs) It's a kind of conversation piece at that point, isn't it? Yeah. Now, you know, when people talk about rare records, and you get these these discussions occasionally surface on Five Live or You and Yours or whatever. Are you sitting on... on, Have you got it in the attic? Have you in the attic? No, no, you haven't. You haven't. Unless unless you worked for EMI or the BBC Mm. and you have a transcription record record of a Jimi Hendrix Radio yeah. 1 session. That, yeah. Obviously. That's, that's worth potentially something. worth thousands. Yeah. You know, you get those odd, you know, they always talk about the rarest records ever made, and they get, they always name some doo-wop record yeah. made in 1954. Yeah. Or the Northern Soul thing. Or the early yeah. press four copies, yeah. or have you got the one with the blue label everybody yeah. has got the pink? You know, that's the stuff that's worth an awful lot of money. Yeah. The stuff that most people yeah. have got... It's not worth no, nothing. Any, anything at all. You no. might as well just hang on to it. Oh. Well, you know, stick to it for the sentimental value. Yeah, absolutely. Now, then you also, going back to the record and tape exchange, you, you, um, you had some extraordinary interactions with customers, mm. Fraser. Yes. Uh, and one in particular, because um, uh, you used to buy and sell electronic equipment also in there, didn't you? Yes, we did. Yeah, we had one shop which specialised in hi-fi and guitars and anything that... Plugged in, and I think you ought to tell this story just to illustrate the the extraordinary deep strangeness of the, <laughs> of, of the public. You know, yeah. when you're in a shop, yeah, you mm. see the public in a totally different way. Yeah. Fraser, over well, to th- you. this was a I think it was a Saturday afternoon. It was a, a quite a busy time, and an old fella came in, regular looking bloke, maybe in his sixties, late sixties, with a video player under his arm, which he uh, brought to the counter and told me he wanted to sell. And we had like a workshop out the back where anything like this, or you go in and plug it in and check that it worked and that kind of thing. So I took this player out the back, uh, plugged it in, pressed play, and there's a video already in the machine, which I sit down to watch. <laughs> and it's uh, our friend from the front counter, naked, mm. with an erection. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't mean like a garden shed? You mean no, like, I don't. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> you mean an actual erection? Yeah, yeah. pointing at the lens. Yeah. Ouch. At yeah. the lens? Yeah. yeah. And so, so he spent some time lining this up. He'd lined it. It had been planned, yeah. Right, OK. This wasn't just happened. You know, no. this, this is lighting. <laughs> this is no styling. accident. Styling. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah. This is no accident. This is no accident. <laughs> You're not going to go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Terribly sorry about that. Without breaking your stride, no, we've, um, Or his strides. We've established that the video player works, and I take it back to the counter and I say, no. Um, You've established that in the worst possible way. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and, I, and I say to him... Um, the video is fine. You, you know, there's a tape already in there, don't mm. you? And he kind of squealed and said, "Yes!" <laughs> and picked up the video recorder, yeah. stuck it under his arm, and left. Ah, oh, seriously, so I'd been flashed. Yeah. So, so yeah, 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 yeah. this is yeah. this is video flashing. Yeah, yeah. Video ma- mail on mail. Yeah. Uh, VHS flashing. Yeah. Well, you must have had. Uh, this is this takes a lot of planning. Well, and also, I don't think there's many. Sh- this man must yeah. be doing this in all kinds of places. Well, I, I can't imagine there's that many shops where you could pull that off. No, I beg no. your pardon. Yeah. <laughs> makes me wonder if I'd be targeted <laughs> in some way. I beg your pardon again. <laughs> <laughs> Dixon, oh, I beg your pardon about Dixon's. Yeah. Uh, so, Robert, in your record, uh, in your record retailing career, what about? Do you have any strange interactions oh, yeah, no, with plenty, the public? Well, no, we had loads. I mean, there were. I mean, I worked for. Uh, I worked for Beggars Banquet for quite a long time, and it was the. I worked in a shop in Kingston uh, in the sort of very late eighties and early nineties, and that was. So you had a kind, of, a kind of university town and a sort of small town mentality, and it's a bit near London. And also we sold loads of second-hand. I mean, it was a sort of shop. It was your kind of dream record shop then, because it was, when I first worked there, it was just, there was about six CDs in the shop, and it was just thousands of LPs, you know, American hardcore, hip-hop, indie, old folk, you know, like, if you walked in now, you'd think, oh, my God, I've died and gone to heaven. But at the time, it's just <laughs> what it was like. How do I get you rid know? of this rubbish? Yeah, now it's like, how do I get rid of this <laughs> But it was, I mean, it was brilliant. And, but it used, to, it used to attract a very, you know, I mean, there was I mean, some brilliant people that to this day I remember dearly. There was a guy we used to call DJ Cheese, 
who was, uh, he wasn't called DJ Cheese, but he just, he used to come in topless, he worked out a lot, and he'd come in topless from his, the garage he worked in, and just buy loads and loads of hip-hop while standing there topless, flexing his muscles. <laughs> so he was brilliant. There was, a, there was a guy called Psychedelic John, who probably still shops there, actually, and he'd come in with a maniacally annotated notebook of the stuff he'd heard on, I don't know, I mean, he would have been way too cool for John Peel. I don't know what he listened to, probably the music of his mind. <laughs> but, and he'd come in, and his thing was always... He was, he was a kind of bucket full of brains person, actually. But, like, bucket full of brains was as far in the commercial directions as he would go. And he'd go... Uh, his, his ideal, his sort of catchphrase was... It was recorded, it sounded like it was recorded in the toilet with the treble turned up. <laughs> and that was like, that was, mean, then it was good. Oh, right. That meant it was good. If it was. It's a five star review. Yeah, if it was unlistenable, thrashy nuggets, That's what it he was, was good. Yeah. Because there are people who want this kind of thing, aren't there? They are, oh, yeah. There are people they, go pursuing pain in record shops. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. True, no, they, wa- they want to prove that they enjoy the most unlistenable that they're, they're more out there than yeah. anybody else there was, a, there was a guy called Nick who used to come in with his girlfriend and he was an on you sound obsessive and he would uh, come in he was another one with a list people with lists who just you know the guy yeah. everyone who worked in a record shop you know the guy who comes in with a list and he's so I've got all day <laughs> they've literally got all day yeah. and they just go for a so have you got you know and his girlfriend used to come in with his girlfriend and s- this kind of Almost goes to illustrate what kind of relationship he had with the staff in the shop. He came in with his girlfriend one day, and he said to he said to her, "Sherman, then." And we all stand there at the counter like that, a bunch of blokes like that, probably smoking fags. Sherman, then, and she just went like that, lifted up her top. She'd had her nipples pierced, but his relationship with the record shop was so close <laughs> that he felt, that it, felt it was it was it was kind of would have been mean for us not to see them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That, uh, and, and she was happy to apply. She, <coughs> couldn't care less, you know. I, I think she was. I was quite proud of them. Yeah, you know. Um, understandably so. Understandably so. Yeah, understandably so. So you don't see your, you know, you don't see humankind at their most endearing in record shops. No, do you? and also, well, you sort of do actually, because what, I think you do because you see people who are genuinely moved and genuinely enthusiastic about the silliness of pop music in all its forms. Also, I think one of the things that was massive when I was working at uh, the beggar shop in Kingston was kind of rave and sort of, and it was turning from acid house into kind of breakbeat and jungle. And so you'd have, it was one of that time when, you know, you could put out a, a filthy sounding little kind of 12 inch and we'd sell 200 copies of it in a day. But you'd have, it was amazing, I mean, amazing times. And, but people would come, you know, you get like 17 year old kids coming in with like one eye pointing that way and one eye pointing that way with a half a smoke spliff behind their ear. Just going out, like, barely able to <laughs> control their mouths, asking for, you know, the, whatever, the new Ragatuin single or something. And it was amazing because you had... You, there was an incredible sense of kind of... Uh, of how music was moving on really fast, you know. And so you know, it would be Dinosaur Junior, then it was Nirvana, then it was Ragatwins, then it was Massive Attack, then it was, you know, uh, like Tortoise, then it was Trans Am, then it was all these things just went on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Every week there was something more exciting than there was last week, you know. And um, that's definitely how I, my memory and of and that kind of thing. there can't be any of that anymore. I don't think there is. There and can't I don't be. think, I don't think, I mean, I... I mean, I, you get these kind of hyped up events like, I don't know, we're going to release the new so-and-so record yeah. at midnight so that yeah. we can try and get a queue outside... Yeah, the HMV shop mm. or whatever, but it's—I don't know. I mean, I would think. I don't know. A friend, a really good friend of mine, worked in Rough Trade for quite a long time after we'd worked together at Beggars, and I used to say to him, "Is it like that? Is it still like?" Because I think when when you leave a record shop, when you leave—I mean, I've worked in record shops for years—and then when you leave, and you're not part of that weekly turnover anymore, <coughs> especially if you leave to become in inverted commas a music journalist and they're all for all the records you get you get for nothing but you get them six weeks after people in record shops have heard them um you six weeks I used before to, see, well, well oh, they, they, oh, they've oh, had them okay. they now you're getting them with a PR with a press release attached for be punting you know what I mean they're, so <laughs> I used to say to him is it like that anymore is it still and he'd, and he'd say that it wasn't but I don't know I imagine if you're working in a little a little tiny shop somewhere somewhere that's you know banging out amazing records. But I don't know, I think the whole, the internet's killed a lot of that and 
this was just sort of... I left in 1995, and so it was just basically pre-internet, as far as most people are concerned. I think what it, it doesn't have anymore is that feeling of a really exclusive, tiny little club. No, I don't think it can do, no. Because, because you can get a feeling that everyone out there knows about this stuff or can access it really easily yeah. if they want. Yeah. Whereas before, the only way you could find out was by walking through the front door. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted, the, if you wanted to hear the new Ray Kwan single, then you had to come into the record shop on a Friday afternoon when we got our imports in, uh, in a big box, and people, we'd shut the doors, and the people who really wanted to spend seven quid on, on a 12-inch single could come in and root through, and you'd sell them hand over fist. But now, if you want to hear the new Rayquan single, will you just illegally download it, or you watch it on YouTube, or yeah. something like that? You, there's no... You don't yeah. have to travel anywhere. Yeah, I think that's yeah. part of it. I was... Uh, particularly, the travel element's quite interesting, because, you know, as I say, I was working at HMV in Oxford Street, which was... Still is was certainly at that time largest record shop in the world. Yeah. you know, which they very successfully marketed mm. as an idea, and so people used to come from all over the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regularly. Yeah, you know, we're down in London for the day. Yeah, I've been sent by my son or daughter yeah. to get Do this. You have? Who says if <laughs> yeah. you can't, if, you know, if, if you can't get it here, yeah. you can't get it anywhere. Yeah. And they would, they would invariably ask for something that was perfectly widely available. Yeah, 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 They'd yeah, ask for yeah. Countdown to Ecstasy by yeah. Steely Dan. Have you yeah. heard of them? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just, I, I don't know, they hadn't looked in the right place in Boots in Wakefield yeah, or yeah, whatever, yeah. or they yeah. didn't know how to go about getting it. But did know? you have that thing we used to, where someone would come in, uh, you'd get like a parent or a grandparent or something, yeah. coming in but with a bit of paper. Oh, They'd yeah. spend five minutes getting it out of their purse. <laughs> and they have a bit of paper. Do you have, and it would be, do you, you know, do you have the new... The new the Chris Rea single, uh, and it's called something about, you know, going home for Christmas or something. And you'd go, yes, here we are, Chris Rea, going home for Christmas, on single. Yes. go, are you sure that's the right yes. one? <laughs> yes, yes. I promise you it's the right one. It's because they've previously been to the record and tape exchange, where yeah. Fraser yeah. tried to pull <laughs> the wall out of the right. Promo only, 800 quid. Yeah. Yeah. Extended yeah. the same mistrust to yeah. anybody in a record shop. But you know who? You know who, uh, all of us worked for HMV at one point. Of course, who were our Mortal Enemies? Our Price, because our Price. Or everyone used to come in to HMV and they go, "Have you got the new uh, Godfather single?" And you go, "No, it's not out yet, mate. It's out in a week." They go, "No, no, no it's out. Our Price said it's out. They just sold out." Yeah. Go, no, they haven't sold out. All right, <laughs> it's not that. out. <laughs> <laughs> I've just had the rep. <laughs> from, do they still exist? What, really? reps? Reps. I don't know. Did you ever want to be a rep? Um, I, I, yes, I did want to I be a rep. I'd, I'd, I'd like the idea of... Uh, I went for a day with him, did repping. You? And in, did that put you off for life? Because, no, that was the nearest thing to the untold glamour of the music business yeah. that I'd ever Company had. Company car. I worked in retail, and this yeah. is my friend Steve, who went to work yeah. on Island Records yeah. as a sales rep. Now, yeah. imagine, this is a time when... Yeah. A, Island Records existed. Not as an independent as a company. Yeah, 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 I know, yeah. As an independent company, yeah. not put out that many records, yeah. and it had a sales force. I know. And that it had company had cars time, and expensive cars. Even its own distribution. Boots full of albums. Boots full of albums, Boots full of yeah. albums. And yeah. so Steve had a, yeah, a Saab or something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, with, with a load of Bob Marley records yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. in the, in the yeah. back, and would you take the new one from Brian Eno, yeah. whatever. And we set off, and yeah. we went to little places called record shops, yeah. which were in Hertfordshire, I remember, in Hitchin, tiny yeah. little record shop. I remember going to a department store in Welling Garden City, yeah. and probably spending two hours <coughs> yeah. going, through, he was going through the new releases. Yeah. For this, yes! With a folder. There's a TV programme called Rock Follies, yeah. and we think it's <laughs> going to be quite big. Yeah. You know? We think you ought to maybe take two or three of yeah. this. You know? and if you want, this we'll go for a five and one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and they also used to have their own sales force. Yeah. They're, they're not just their own sales force, yeah. their own display people. Yes, they did, yeah. They used to have yeah. Who's who went around right? putting up, yeah. you know... Yeah. Uh, their own display people. They'd come around and put up the posters over last month's posters, and the big cutouts and things like that. Oh, my God. Well, I've still yeah. got next to my desk yeah. in the office there the, the enormous great Bob Marley yeah. burning... Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if I've ever told the story yeah. of this, that the, when Bob Marley's Burning came out, and whenever that was, 1973, 74, yeah. something like that, <coughs> the, the window of HMV was occupied by a very splendid display, which yeah. is supposed to be a kind of shanty. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right, it, yeah, it, yeah. It's plywood, yeah. and, you know. <laughs> it's trench town, right? It's trench town. Yeah. Uh, with, a, with a picture of Bob Marley. <coughs> and I've been to Trenchdown. You could actually fit it in. Oh, you could actually fit it in the window. Yes. Of, uh, <laughs> yes. It's pretty small. And, yeah. and when the display would run its course, my friend Steve 
said, can I have this? And yeah. took this. And I've subsequently got it. And my son has it now, a yeah. student at Leeds University, in right. his room. So this is how many years later yeah. is yeah. this? 25 you know, years old. It, yeah. it's, more, it's more than yeah. that, isn't it? Now, that 30, would be worth some money. 30 yeah. years. Yeah. You know? That would be worth some money. It might but be, you, Did you ever have... Uh, this, is, this is about as obscure a question as I can think. Did you ever have a celebrity rep, or a rep who became a celebrity at a later date? Because I did. Go on. We used to have a rep when MC, Remember MCA Records? Oh, oh yeah. certainly did. When they, had when they were independent. When they were independent, they had their own sales team. Yes. And we used to have a, a rep from MCA, uh, a guy called Neil, who we liked very much. He was a very nice guy who seemed... He didn't really like working for MCA. He was a bit too cool for that. Uh, and he was a very nice chap. We used to look forward to him every week, even though he'd bring us utterly rubbish records every single week. But we were a chart return shop, so it didn't matter, because he'd just come in and go, here's a thousand things for nothing. And we <laughs> yes, go, thanks, Neil. And then one day he said he was leaving to go and join, you know, because his band had got signed. And uh, he'd already been in a band called Rain, but hadn't really gone anywhere. And he signed this other And uh, he was near, out of the Tinter Sticks. And next thing you know, he was a Tinter Sticks, and he was in the coolest band in the world. Wow. And, uh, and it was like, every time I saw him, I thought, but that's Neil from MCA. Uh, yes. <laughs> what's he doing in that band that are really cool? Yeah. And, uh, yes. Fair play to him. So, yes, they're, they're, always, they're always in your head. They're always yeah. a Christian name yeah. from coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. always the way that you look at them. Yeah. Neil from MCA. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a question. Do people still hype uh, singles shops? Oh. Do, do, do you still have chart return shops? And, and are, are they still the recipients they must of be. I mean, extraordinary I, largesse on the part of record companies? But well, I, all the record shops I worked in were always chart return shops. And... When I worked at, when the first one I worked in was at HMV in Guildford, and we used to be in Swan Lane, and uh, that was a, that was a fantastic shop because I worked <coughs> there on the singles counter, with me and uh, Andy Gill, not that Andy Gill, and a guy called Mark Straker, who I'll, if I if I'm allowed, I might tell you his claim to fame in a minute. Um, <coughs> it's rather rude, and but uh, he, they, there we used to get flooded with so much stock because it was chart return, middle of Guildford, big shop, that they used to have a room that they put all the stuff in, so it'd be full of primitive singles and Godfather singles and, you know, I've got a fuzz box reissues and things like that. And there was an absolutely incredible amount of stuff. And also you get given loads of stuff, you know, T-shirts and tops. Uh, I remember the first thing I ever got given was a pair of banana yellow Jesus Jones cycling shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I've worn them. I've got no. I wish I had. You know what? I wish I had. But I wore them, (laughs) and uh, you know, NWA tops and Sinead O'Connor hoodies and all sorts of amazing items, which don't exist anymore. Which don't exist anymore. But I don't think there wasn't. I don't remember. It was never really hyped. But it just you just get shed load, box loads of stuff for nothing. And if you wanted it, but there was rules there. You know, H and V. You couldn't put loads of it out. You know. But then when I worked at for Beggar's Banquet, there was, that was a chart return shop too, but then we didn't sell that much chart return stuff. Or I don't, you know, so we, we, nobody ever... I, I never stuff remember, got marked in the diary nonetheless. I don't think anything ever got marked in any diaries. I don't remember any of that. I don't remember anything getting written down. I mean, you'd get, because you just, it was all free. Right. So you'd, you'd get a, your, your pink slip and you'd just, you know, chuck it in the bin or whatever. Um... But it never got paid for, so it never got written in any diaries. But, it, you know, go out there. But then it, just, it would just end up at 5p anyway. But, you'd, you know, you'd beep, you know, stick it through on the old, uh, on the <laughs> I, old machine, you know. When I used to work at H&V, across the road, Polydor, Polydor Records headquarters was across the road. Oh, yeah. And people who worked in Polydor Records wanted free records yeah. that weren't put out by Polydor. Mm. And so the way they used to do them was they used to come across the road bearing boxes of records mm. and they used to exchange them yeah. with stock yeah. at the H&V yeah. shop so they would take a load of stuff that they wanted and in return they would always give you James Last records because <laughs> James Last was a pretty big seller on Polydor yeah. at the time but also there were obviously just millions of copies around the office yeah. and they would they would slip the person who did the, the swap a couple of James Last records which they could then in turn swap right, for okay. what they wanted yeah yeah yeah, yeah. highly evolved yeah, that's well thought out, yeah. It's really, bar, it's barter, yeah. basically. Yeah. <clears throat> but the result of this was that, you know, HMV every year used to return more James <laughs> Last records yeah. than James Last put out yeah. in the whole of the UK. Ship gold, <laughs> return platinum. Ship gold, return platinum, yeah. you know. This is how these things used to work. They yeah. were massive quantities of this yeah. stuff. That's true, you know, I've forgotten about that little scam, because we used to do that. You'd blag a CD, 
Uh, the guy from Ireland would be in, or London or someone, Dave from London, he'd be in. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, you'd blag a copy of the, you know, Fine Young Cannibals CD. CD, imagine that. And, uh, or, or cassette. And, um, you know, swap it for something you wanted. Because they are also, at the time, there's... You know, I remember when I went to work for HMV that it was it was before they ripped out all the vinyl, just before they ripped out all the vinyl shelves and filled it full of CDs and games and stuff. And you'd go in there and it'd be just... There was racks and racks and racks of, like, you know, Muddy Waters and Jimmy Smith and sort of old folk records and things like that, and things that you hadn't didn't have any idea these things really existed. And they were all cheap. They were, like, two ninety nine. All those old jazz and blues and folk records were, like, two ninety nine. They were new. They were not the collector's items. Well, they probably are now. But they were cheap. And you could buy, and you, if you wanted to buy five LPs, you could buy them as long as you bought, you know, Muddy Waters and you know, Duke Pearson records and things like that. And they were great, and you loved them. You know, you really had a, you developed a very kind of strong relationship with them because you just you spent so much time listening to them and enjoying them and, and taking them for what they were. Yeah. they were amazing. The amazing. most extraordinary case of barter I ever came across was the A and M rep for the West End. Oh yeah. Bob from A&M. Bob from A&M. One Christian <laughs> yeah, 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 company. Yeah. Mike from WA. I yeah. remember all of them. Yeah, Bob yeah, yeah. from Transatlantic. Yeah. Bob from A&M actually used to buy washing machines at Selfridges with records. Really? And <laughs> how he did this, I wow. do not know. I wonder what the bar system there Peter is. Frampton comes alive. Yeah. You know, if you turned up with a trolley full of, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, Frampton comes alive, yeah. you could get yourself a washing machine or a fridge. John Lewis. Somehow. God bless him. Not John Lewis. No, no, no Selfridges. Oh, Selfridges. Don't drag the name of John Lewis partnership through the mud <laughs> it's all allegedly yeah. anyway but yeah. you know, that that was the story yeah. there, there was just this kind of trade but also they were all like you, you know you say hmv in oxford street was across the road from polydon when i worked at for beggar's banquet in in uh, putney bridge just they had a shop by putney bridge it's not don't go looking for it, it's not there anymore and uh they th- that was but then there was you know bmg were over the road, and A&M yeah, were just bottom of King's road. road. Bottom of King's Road, yeah, and A&M were there, and so then the Mowax people moved in to A&M, and then um, there was like, you know, Ireland were not that far away, just sort of up the road in kind of, uh, in sort of Hammersmith sort of area. And you would get, all these people would come in, and Domino would round the corner, obviously, 4AD and XL and Beggars and all those. And all, there was a huge amount of people just in that kind of southwest London sort of area, all of whom would come in, and just ha- and just ha- and hang out, and I think that was one of the things that we're not really touched on, but was most important about the kind of record shop thing was just hanging out, just yeah. hanging out and listening to stuff and going. And people who would those people who would, like, we used to do a lot of DJs, but they would just people would spend a hundred and fifty pound a week on twelve inch records, and you'd think. Ah. And there's a guy Shuff, brilliant. You're guy. spending more Shuff. on records than I'm getting brilliant. paid. But he thing. would he would spend he would spend so much on records that he used to have to think he used to have to post-date his checks, and we'd take them because he was a brilliant customer. <laughs> Shuff, brilliant guy. And uh, he would then... So then he'd have, like, a load of records, but he'd have, like, five checks in advance oh, really? to, to go. And you know that he would be good for it, and it would all happen, but you just had to make sure you banked them. So this the right is one time. of these people who, clearly, records was a, a priority ahead of food. Uh, absolutely. Certainly ahead of, yeah. ahead of clothing. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Then, I mean, you, you had you know to what's taken over yeah. record, from records in, mm. in, in people's economic calculation mm. is... is Mobile phones. Yeah. I don't know. People now, yeah. now prioritise what they spend on a mobile phone. Yeah. Yeah. They, they allocate that deal. section of the expenditure they, towards the phone. Mm. Yes. Yeah. They don't, they, it's not a negotiable thing. It's not yeah. a thing they think they can do without. Yeah. Think, no, I've obviously got to have that. Yeah. I've got to have the latest mobile phone with the best deal and so forth. Yeah. Well, people used to think that way about records. Yeah. But it's a different kind of expenditure, isn't it, though? Because I was talking, these were people who would spend money every single week on records. And I suppose they probably do. I don't know because it's, uh, when you think expenditure is quite a weird thing because when you think about the amount of things we spend money on that twenty years ago didn't exist, so mobile phones, your broadband, your Kate, your your uh, satellite TV, your things like that, that, and you think, well, how? Hang on a minute. You think, how much money do I spend a month on things that didn't even exist? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And it's like, well, how, well they, you know, if, you, if you want to look at the problems could, for the record that, business, yeah, spend, and the publishing yeah, business, yeah. and all of them, you know, I'd have a lot more money to thing. spend on records. Yeah, but you then know, again, it, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be able to muck about on the internet at home and watch great telly on satellite. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So anyway, the thing you were saying earlier, Rob, before we started recording, was that nowadays um, we don't need to ask what people have been doing because we sort of know. And this was a classic case of uh, of this this week, which was um, 
You're an, like Eamon Ford, you're an energetic <laughs> Twitterer. You're yes. one of these people who ought to be identified his whereabouts by a flashing light on the on the tube map. I think so if you if you go into your maps app, you can <laughs> where's my Rob? little my little face. Where's Wally? Uh, yeah. <laughs> where's Robbie? Because yeah. yesterday or the day before, you, you were in Bristol. I was in Bristol. What were you doing? I was there for uh, the Guardian travel. Uh, doing uh, guarding guard train. I know pretty well. You know, yeah. I, I travelled to Bristol. I went on the train. Uh, thank you, First Great Western Railways, for a uh, first-class ticket. Uh, thank you very much. Um, and uh, they, I went there to do a piece, for, uh, a Twit Trips piece. Twit Trips. So you travel. That's a series they've got. Yeah, right? they've got a series. They did Blackpool and Manchester and a couple of others. It was quite new. And uh, so you go there. And it's a very good idea, actually. Uh, thank you, The Guardian. And they, um, you go there, and as you're on your way down on the train. You say, I'm here, you know, I'm coming down to Bristol. And so and then people in Bristol tweet and you uh, recommendations of where you should go. And do they find you? Well, I did get found by a very nice chap called Will, uh, who's Will, at Will underscore Bristol. And uh, it was, I was having my lunch in a place that he'd recommended, a place called Taste in Bristol, which is very nice indeed. And uh, he was coming past on his bike, and he looked in. I'm sitting there mucking about on my phone. And he went, that's that idiot. Uh, he <laughs> mucked about on his phone. And because uh, I said, look for an idiot mucking about on his phone, and that would probably be me. And um, he came in and said hello. And so I did meet him. And he's, it was, the, the thing that's difficult about doing something like that is you get there, and you've got all these recommendations, but then you suddenly realise you don't know where anything is, yeah, and yeah. you don't know where this place is or that place is. And, he would, and he, what he did brilliantly was, being local, he said, well, you should go here for this, there for that, that, and it sort of put it into structure. But it was brilliant how people would then go, oh, you try this place, and then try that. And, you know, it's, it's a totally different... If you just went to a city with a guidebook, no. it's, that's just... It kind, of really kind of You know, it's just dead. Because yeah. that shop is probably shut. Because you're getting local knowledge. This is local knowledge okay. as it happens. And yeah. someone going, well, you know, we're going for a drink over there in an hour. Why don't you, you know, do like that? And it was, yeah, it was, it was really, really good. So it's a new experience, isn't it's it? It's a new it's experience. You go to a city and you don't need to know anything. And uh, as long as you've got, you know, a, a massive media group <laughs> publicising the fact that you're there. It's not for um, everyone, is it's it? It's not for No, I mean, it, you, uh, how, yeah, it, it, but it does work if you just go... I mean, the thing is, what I did is a few days in advance, you sort of say you're going to Bristol, and then you just, you know, the sort of spam bots pick up that you're going to <coughs> Bristol. And so Bristol tourist agency and things like that pick up on you and they start tweeting you too oh, really? and I got, I got conflicting tweets from the Clifton Suspension Bridge and the Seven Bridge saying don't go to him come to me <laughs> <laughs> so that was good so I enjoyed that uh, I've started yeah. to change my view about Twitter really that I probably a few months ago I thought well this is it's a terrific fad mm. uh, but it probably won't be here for mm. long I've n- I, I'm now starting to think it might be here for quite a I long think time. I, because yeah. I think it does something that other things it does. Don't it do. does, and I think you do. You have to. You have to. I still. Lots of people. My wife doesn't like Twitter. She says, "What's the point?" She goes, "I know what you and Eamon Ford and Peter <laughs> Robinson are doing anyway." So okay, but I think I think for I think people. You know, we know. There's a lot of people we know that are on Twitter, so that's good fun. If you don't. No, if your friends aren't on Twitter, I think it would be a bit... Yes. I there wouldn't be much point to it. But I think when you have a network of people that you know and you're interested in what they do, and you're not just following, you know, Jonathan Ross and Stephen Fry... Oh, yeah, there's, who, no, point you, you know, there's no point. You soon realise that you don't want to follow anybody no, no. like that at all. Then it's a brilliant service because you can... You, you I mean, everyone used to use it like email, you know, direct message like email with people. You know what people are doing, you know where they're going. And also, this is the other thing. You don't need to take. You don't even need to take a book or a magazine on a train anymore, because you've got a constant rolling entertainment <laughs> of service twaddle. of twaddle, <laughs> but entertaining twaddle. Yeah. You know, and I don't, uh, every time I've been on a, on a train or a bus or a tube, or well, a tube, recently, I haven't taken anything with me because I know I'm not going to look at it because you spend the whole time flicking through Twitter. Now, Fraser, have you noticed? Has this? We, we use this in conjunction with the the word website, wordmagazine.co.uk, mm. recently redesigned. Yes, uh, indeed. well done, Fraser. Thank you very oh, much, Fraser. Sterling job. There. I've had a few complaints about the orange, but it's well, not yeah. changing. They're, 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 <laughs> ignore. <laughs> I think you've Ford complaining yeah, about yeah, the orange. You've done yeah. a terrific job. Um, now. Have you noticed, you know, we often send out tweets saying so-and-so's on the site or so when somebody's posted something, yeah. don't we? And are we starting to notice that that drives people oh, it? has it? a definite effect, yeah. There's a, 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 there'll be a flurry of activity for a few minutes and then it'll die off. Yeah, But yeah. For, for those few minutes, the traffic will be much, much more than we usually get. 
Because that's the interesting thing mm. to me about Twitter is is, is what it it, um, it uses personal recommendation yeah. really strongly, doesn't yeah. it? Because yeah. what you follow is people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I, I, I use it a lot as a kind of filter of stuff that's in the pa- on the newspaper sites. Mm. So people who I'm sort of interested in stuff I'm interested in and, yeah. and I know through work or whatever, yeah. I'll get a tweet saying, interesting piece about Senzo in the Times. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wasn't there an odd case of this yesterday? This was, this was bizarre, Rob. This was mm. you and uh, The Independent, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, that's true. This yeah. is just bizarre. Yeah. I, read... Uh, I, 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 was, I was in the, uh, is, this hotel in Bristol, and I went to have my breakfast, and it was the, the reception was full of bulk copies of The Independent. So I read The Independent and read uh, Rodri Marsden's piece about, uh, he, at Rodri, um, very good, hello Rodri, and, uh, and about how, why cable's so expensive, why is equipment so expensive, things like that. And then I tweeted that to him, going, read your piece about this morning, and then you ended up reading it as well. I, I, I read something else in The Independent. Then yeah. you, you're tweeting me, going, everybody's reading The Independent. Oh, no. <laughs> it was yeah. just you and me. Yeah, right? just me and you. But it felt like <laughs> the Twitterverse was thrumming yes. with news about The Independent. But it, and, it's yeah. that power of recommendation of moving people around. Yeah. You know, the, the now, as you're moving, you're already in a place where there's more media than people could ever consume. Yeah. Yeah. They're using their friends as filters. Yeah. But also, it's funny, we're all talking about reasons we like Twitter, and then mm. you two have both had different reasons, and mine is a third. I love the fact that Twitter have built this thing with, with the technology is so open that people can, other people, third parties, can build software that plugs in and yeah, make, yeah, yeah. And make yeah. their own thing. So yeah. you can actually use Twitter to, to filter out anything you want and discover yeah. anything you want. A few weeks ago, there was a fire in Soho. Mm. Oh, and within yeah. five minutes of this happening... You could, using the various plugins that people have built for Twitter, you could isolate a whole page of photographs taken by different people of yeah. the fire. I was yeah. in the West End was on Google, that very Google. day. Can't compete with that. Yeah. I was in the West yeah, End exactly, on that very yeah. day. I was walking through Soho, and I smelt that smoke before yeah. I saw the fire. And mm. I think I actually rang you, didn't I? And you I did, texted yeah. you, Say, do you know anything about this fire? Thinking, Fraser's in the office, he's got a computer. Yeah. And so Fraser looked, and there's nothing. Yeah. It doesn't reach the news yeah. organisations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm down there in the middle of Soho, it's Friday lunchtime, it's quite a nice day. Everybody is out on the streets watching this Yeah, watching fire. Google burn down. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, taking pictures of yeah. it and twittering to each other. And an hour later, something appeared on the, the Evening Standard site yeah. saying, you know, um, office workers fled in fear. <laughs> no, and they didn't. Think, no, they bloody yeah. didn't. Office workers ran to the pub in haste. Pit. Yes, yeah. they stood outside pubs, yeah. drank pints of lager, yeah. and had a laugh. Yeah. Toasting marshmallows. Yeah. Yeah. Toasting <laughs> Lit their fags off it. And, <laughs> and the yeah. piece written in the Evening Standard was written by somebody who'd seen less of this event, yeah. knew less about this event, yeah. than the people who were actually there yeah. at the time. Citizen journalists. Yeah. yeah, well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I believe that the newspaper's job will be taken over by no, no, journalism. No. But there'll certainly be pockets of that yeah. kind of thing. I think know? the it's kind of rea- the reactive speed of it. It's true, and that thing that, that Fraser says, Google, you you can't Google Central London Fire while Central London Fire is happening. You can, yeah. if it happened two years ago, brilliant. But if it's happening now, it's no use to you at all. Yeah. Whereas Twitter is uh, absolutely because someone will be there going taking pictures of it like you say taking pictures of it putting up video you know p- people start to put up little video clips on there yeah. now aren't they and things like that as well and then linking to other people doing it and you know it's, it's i mean it's an amazing service i also, I also think you going back to the citizen journal thing i don't think the newspaper should be quaking or anything like that but i think there is an element of uh, being policed by people mm, yeah in the, in the sense that the journalist who writes about this fire being a terrible thing and people fleeing there are loads of people there who publicly can say, no, it actually didn't happen like that. Yeah. Well, I yeah. Think, and I their voice been... is just as valid and just yeah. as heard, yeah. But you also, what you're seeing is journalists no longer being at the scene. Yeah. These things, you know, the Evening Standard aren't sending They're not anybody. sending someone down to, to record saying, the fire. You know, yeah. Put your coat on and yeah. your hat, <laughs> whip down there with yeah. your notebook, and yeah. a guy with an enormous large format camera. <laughs> yeah. 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 And they're not yeah. doing it at all. No. Where are they finding out about it? They're finding out about it on Twitter. Sitting at, just sitting in the office. Sitting in the office. That's that's yeah. the way it's working. And yeah. it's, it's becoming a self-fulfilling thing because they yeah. don't have the resources to pay for... And for also, who journalists. loves Twitter more than anybody? Journalists. Yes. You know, because Actually. It's full, Twitter is full of journalists. Is going, gossiping? Being gossiping, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and doing journalists' most important job, which is to say, I'm still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do something really important in a minute. Right now, here's a picture of a cat falling off a wall. So this, <laughs> this is the, you're talking about, you know, you never need to ask anybody what they're doing because they already know. Yeah. My son said something very re- interesting to me 
recently that, that we're talking about the enormous sums people pay to go to festivals nowadays. Yeah. You know, they're, they're buying on the secondary market, they're buying Reading tickets for £400 or Bloody whatever. Bloody hell, fire. It's just madness. Yeah. These are teenagers. Or yeah. And, uh, Where are they getting £400 from? Well, because they're mobilising mum and dad's money. That's the truth. You know, it's, but it's when not pocket money. When you mum and dad, you went, I want 400 quid to go to Reading. Why aren't they just going literally get lost? <laughs> well, hundred okay. quid. Well, I don't, I, maybe they've got very good uh, GCSE results or something. I, I don't need to have very good GCSE results. Four hundred bloody quid. Doesn't, to go doesn't to everyone Reading. get very good GCSE results? <laughs> exactly. Oh, I don't know. Um, I think that the, the mean figure organisation are in cahoots with the example. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> what they're doing, yeah. So what they're doing yeah. is they give everyone A's, then everyone gets to go ready for 400 quid. Yeah. So anyway, he said that the reason, and I said, well, why is so many people going to festivals nowadays? Yeah. Even people who don't appear to be that interested in music. Mm. And he said, because nowadays, what is really important is that you tell people where you're going and you tell people where you've been. Yeah. That it's mm. social currency. Yeah. The, it, if you say to somebody at 21 years old, what are you doing tomorrow? And they don't know. Yeah. That's social death. Yeah. And so I'm going to Santa. I've been Santa. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and Facebook yeah. and Twitter have made this even more urgent. Yeah. This because you, you can go OMG lol. I'm going to see yes. Arctic Monkeys yeah. to malls. Or I'm yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, increasingly. Yeah. You know the, the case. I mean, I know we've battered on about this endlessly but I'm sorry I do think it's one of the most fundamental changes I saw a huge large format picture of U2 on stage in the United States mm. recently can't remember where I saw a huge picture of, of the view from that they saw from the stage mm. and what do they see cameras they see cameras, cameras. Yeah. They see yeah. cameras. Yeah. it's like you went to the England game the other night when David Beckham warms up and all of a sudden all over the stadium the flash bulbs go off it's what mm. people do. It's, it is. And he's a tiny little stick figure that you can't make out. What's it like? People you know, taking a picture on their mobile phone of David Beckham half a mile away. Yeah. But it, regardless of the range thing, you know, a musician used to go on stage, or mm. an actor, well, yeah. it does, thankfully for actors it doesn't happen yeah. yet, although I'm sure it'll happen in the theatre eventually. But I bet people do sit there like that and just put, put the phone on silent and just read a couple off. But if you went <coughs> on stage, you know, Bob Dylan, yeah. most of his career, went on stage, mm. and if he bothered to look out, he would see people looking up at him. Mm. He would see pink, upturned mm. human faces. That's, that's, that's Flushed the performer's, with excitement. performer's experience. Yeah. Who are either really concentrating mm. or look as if they're really concentrating. Yeah. It, it's a very clear part of the experience. Nowadays, when Bob Dylan, if he bothers to look down, he doesn't see that at all. Yeah. He sees loads and loads of little green glows. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, it's got to change the way the artist looks at the world. I, saw, I went and saw um, Swen Kuti, Fela Kuti's son, uh, last year at the Barbican. And uh, I was middle of the front row, great seat. And either side of me are a pair of Nigerians who filmed the entire show on their mobile phones. Wow. And, and kept their eyes, of course, because they wanted the picture to look great, on the screen rather than watching the gig that was taking place. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's a weird thing, isn't it? Do you think that's semi-criminal? Yeah. Do you think that's possibly going to find its way onto the market? Maybe, yeah. 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 But why would do it on a mobile phone, then? I don't know. Yeah, well, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. yeah large rig <laughs> yeah. might, might, be, uh, might yeah. be a little too prominent. Yeah. So what else have we learned this week? Anything else? Anything? Uh, I, I, I wanted to share with you a thing I read in the Times today, but there's this extraordinary case of... Uh, of the two teenage boys who, who were allegedly plotting a Columbine-type oh, yeah. massacre oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Manchester, yeah. and, and obviously the case had been thrown out. Yeah. And, um, and that one of them said his behaviour had been inspired by watching Bowling for Columbine at school during, quotes, enrichment classes. Wow, enrichment so, classes. So, you know, I, really? I, I can't imagine yeah. what enrichment classes wow. are, but, you know, the idea that the school... The school gets everybody in the hall, yeah. a large projector, and, you know, a screen, and shows them both <laughs> yeah. thinking this yeah. will so shock them. Yeah, you know, and actually, right. of course they think, brilliant. Yeah. 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 What a great idea. Fifteen-year-old you know, yeah. boys, we've yeah. all been there. You know, it's really. Bowling for Columbine and If together. You know, yes. and just, yeah. You've got to sit and watch that. And you can never predict exactly how people are going to um, no. respond to that kind of thing. No, in, well, I love the idea of an enrichment class. I know. And what, also, I think, well, what do you get rid of 
to bring in enrichment. What goes out the window? Maths. Yeah, maths. maths. <laughs> Jogger. Jogger. Something difficult. Yeah. So physics. What's pro- what probably goes yeah. Get rid of physics. Bring in enrichment. On the uh, on the on the way in this morning, I, I stopped for a cup of coffee and uh, pick up a cup of coffee in uh, in a place in, in Chapel Market, and I just written her an obituary, which is in this issue of, of the great session player Larry Netchel, right. um, who died a few weeks ago, and uh, and and I heard playing on Heart FM or whatever. The end of Mr. Tambourine Man, mm. on which he plays the bass. Right, okay. The distinctive boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. But at the end, and it goes straight into Bridge Over Troubled Water, wow. on which he plays the piano. Wow. wow. Amazing. I, I, I can't think that any programmer at, uh, you know, no, no, radio think, were maybe aware of that. Yeah. But I thought, you know, that's, that's a pretty great legacy, isn't yeah. it? You know what I mean? And that'll go on forever. Talking of Bridge you? Over Troubled Water, I, uh, the other day in Bristol, I, in, uh, in a charity shop, I got a beautiful little seven-inch copy of Simon and Garfunkel, a four-track EP, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Mrs. Robinson, April Come She Will, and one other one that I can't remember... 20p, picture sleeve, beautiful. Good condition? Good condition nice. as well. I don't mind, really. But, you know, April Comes She Will, I think it's probably one of the greatest records ever made. Paul, Paul Simon, but long, long career. Yeah. Hardly any bad records at all. Hardly any, yeah. Hardly. Certainly, certainly not on that EP. No, no, not pence. on that. You know, he, no bad ones on there. He's seller yeah. records. There's hardly yeah. any rubbish there at all. Yeah. It was extraordinary. Yeah. Extraordinary level standard he's kept. Unlike Kanye West. Unlike Kanye West, yeah. who, of course, has been, you know... The, long, the, too long a career the, with too many rubbish records. The Storm in a Media teacup yeah. this week. <laughs> yeah. Rob, did you see this? this yes, I saw it. Tell everyone, for the benefit of anybody... Well, for the benefit of uh, people who didn't know, Taylor Swift isn't a man. That's what, one of the things I discovered <laughs> this week. She's a girl. I didn't know you could have a girl called Taylor. I didn't know you could have a man called Taylor. But anyway, she's not. She's a girl. She's a country singer, apparently. And she won an award. What an old... Fa- I didn't even... What an old-fashioned idea that you there's an award for a music video. I mean, who knew that even anybody still well, made music MTV's videos? VMAs, yeah, it? well, it's MTV's VMAs. Apparently MTV's still going and people <laughs> still make music videos. So I didn't know about either of those things. Anyway, she won some you know, award for something. She got up to go, oh, thank you so much. That Kanye West get jumps up. He jumps up with a mic that's live. And with a caption saying with Kanye a caption West. With Kanye West. Although there was no suggestion whatsoever that this was a pre-planned event. And goes and said to her, oh, yeah, well, actually, uh, your video's all right, but uh, Beyonce's is better. Uh, it's literally much better than yours, and you're a bit rubbish. And then, uh, so the internet goes mad. And Beyonce's, cut away to Beyonce. Was Looking and Of course, they cut away... Straight to Beyonce while this random thing's happening, and she sort of she does a brilliant thing where she sort of goes, <laughs> she's sort of shocked, horrified, pleased, hot, shocked, horrified. All these emotions washing over her face, and um, and then that was that. And then, but it's blew up this huge thing where. But now, no, but there's more than that. When Beyonce later on, and oh the yes, show of course, came yeah, on that's right. To get her yeah, award, she did. She said, "I'd yeah. like to just bring on Taylor yeah. Swift, bring her back. She on. can have a moment in the sun." Yeah. Taylor yeah. comes back on having changed frock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. too many tears on the other frock. <laughs> and has, yeah. uh, you know, and it has her moment. Yeah, she does. Very, yeah. you know, very yeah. heartwarming, you know, spectacle. Yeah. But then the next person this involves is the President of the United States, isn't it? Yes, who apparently calls uh, Kanye West a jackass. Yeah, off air. I don't believe there's any apparently, is there? Uh, well, well, no, uh, we, we got the yeah, recording. Yeah, yeah. There's a video I like right now. Oh, there's a video. So he's getting ready to do some statements yeah. about the US economy or the yeah. Middle East or so whatever. Checking the levels. Checking yeah, the levels. That kind of thing. Yeah. Interviewer just says, what do you think to Kanye West? And he's a jackass. He's a jackass. And then does this whole thing about, I do hope that's not going out. You know, Cut me some slack, guys. And so everybody... It's it's like everybody gets to look clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kanye yeah. West, I yeah. suppose. You well, know, no, no, no. The, 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 th- the theory I heard was that Kanye West was fully prepared to make himself look like a jackass while he did this. The, yeah. The theory I heard was that Jay Z, who had closed the show, had said, "I'll do it as long as we do something that makes Beyonce, my wife, look gracious and wonderful." Right. And so, and then he goes to Jay Z and says, "You don't mind yourself looking like a jackass? How about you interrupt this speech?" Yeah. Then Beyonce can go up later on and get her award and That's say, lovely. "Let's bring back." That's a lovely idea. And yeah. look, look marvellous. Yeah. So you see, it, it, it's all, it, it all adds force to my permanent argument that there is nothing on TV that happens by accident. No. But of course, if anything happens by accident on TV, you know, they miss it. But, yeah. it's, but, it, but it's also brilliantly invented a great new internet meme, hasn't it? That yeah. it's got. Uh, so we've sort of, we've almost moved on from the Hitler one, the downfall <laughs> one, which is never not funny. It's never. No. I've never seen one yet that isn't funny. It's the joke. It, that- Goes I, on but there's, then, I saw one this morning where uh, it's, it's a little link and you click on it and whatever page you're on, 
um, a picture of Kanye comes up going, yeah, well, this website's okay, but Beyonce's website's ten times. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and it just things, it just goes on and on. You know, it's, it's kind of... It's oh, that everyone, was, yeah, I, I, that saw, was the thing this week, wasn't it? Somebody died and... Uh, well, Patrick oh, Swayze died. Patrick and, Swayze died, yeah. And Patrick Swayze died. So uh, Kanye interrupts by yeah. Michael Jackson's funeral was both better. Oh, dear God. Oh, dear. Well, the Reaper has been busy this week. Oh, yeah, my God, yeah. he has, hasn't he? Has he? Mary yeah. Travers. Mary uh, Travers to, this yeah. morning. Yeah. Uh, Troy Kennedy Martin yep. uh, yesterday. Keith Floyd. Keith Floyd. We did say, I yeah. did. Well, Keith Floyd. I mean, did you see the extraordinary documentary that only, that no, everybody I, I know has only no, watched 20 minutes I was of? in Bristol. I was but, uh, I didn't have telly in Bristol. And uh, this I, is Keith, Keith yeah. Allen meets Keith Floyd. Yeah. Um, uh, goes to find him in, the, in, in France, in yeah. rural France. And uh, finds this man is clearly at death's door. Yeah. Uh, who then proceeds to, effectively does his own obituary. Yeah. And then died while getting ready to watch it. Yeah, that's pretty beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> it's, yeah. <we're>, after <laughs> an extraordinary meal. After an extraordinary meal at Mark Hicks, which I actually I ate at that Mark Hicks restaurant a few months ago, and it was fantastic. So uh, thank you very much. But um, no, I know what a great meal. Loads and loads of booze, a little tiny bit of meat, and some fags. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's... Uh, well, I used to enjoy Keith Floyd back I d- yeah. in the day, you know. Yeah. But I have to say, I could only watch 20 minutes of that, uh, of that I documentary. I didn't see it. I thought, you know, this is a man who just... It's like you give a dying TV personality the chance to be remembered in the place he most wants to be remembered, which yeah. is on TV. Yeah. And you think, mm, maybe they should. Did he have any axes to grind? Oh, he hated everybody in TV. Oh, really? And oh, thought, well, yeah. thought every, uh, you know, because they had fulsome tributes from yeah. fellow chefs or people who, you know, and everybody turned up saying, had it not been for him, you yeah. know, we've never got our break. You know? yeah. They're all pretty p- people he probably despised. Well, he, he yeah. affects to despise yeah. them. I think, yeah. I think that's a, a little bit, it was a pose, yeah. as it is with Keith Allen. Yeah. It's Keith Allen's whole point of view is everybody yeah. in the world is stupid apart from me. Yeah, you know? and I'm the only one who can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I used to very much enjoy him, and I'd, I'd still waited for somebody to, to post on the website the, f- the, the clip that I, I once saw him cooking a meal while reciting the lyrics to Bob Dylan's uh, Just Like Tom Thumbs Blues. Oh, really? From the beginning to the end. Wow. While cooking. Which was one of the great bits of telling. Yeah. You know, he obviously, he thought this bit of it, the procedure requires no explanation, mm. so I shall just go, you know, when you're lost in the rain and it's Juarez and it's Easter time yeah, too, yeah, yeah. and he just, just did the whole thing. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant television. But as you said so neatly on Twitter, the, <laughs> I remember Twitter, <laughs> the other day, we, oh, did he, uh, you know, did he reinvent the format or did he just muck about well, he, uh, and it was he yeah. deconstructed yeah, deconstructed it, yeah. No, he, just, kind of he didn't deconstruct it because he made teleprograms that were edited into teleprogram length and within that he did some cooking and some talking and had a few laughs but and he did muck about a little bit I think the thing well, he, I think he did, broke the fourth I think wall. the thing he did that, yes which is interesting which, yeah. which Chris Evans did a lot of and yeah. I do think it's quite interesting mm. this, that for years TV was totally in the hands of the producers. Yeah. Nothing happened unless the guy in the gallery says this is going to happen. Yeah. And once you've got some of those strong personalities like Chris Evans mm. or Keith, Keith Floyd there, you can't do it like that. Yeah. So they go, no, I'm going to point the camera at what I want it pointed at. Yeah. yeah there was a clip I saw yesterday of Keith Floyd actually directing the camera while on film. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was saying, don't film me, film the food. It's oh, about the food. Well, yeah. Except it wasn't about the food. No, of course no, it, it was wasn't. about him. It's about the food. Yeah, it's about that. The food is about him. It's about him showing he was in charge. Yeah, yeah. It was, if you like, it was television 2.0, wasn't it? Yes, yes. very much so. Yeah. <laughs> it also bears out my theory about uh, TV cookery that's not about cookery at all, it's about travel. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah. It's all about going places. Yeah. There we're was going a... to go and cook some food for the guys picking the grapes in yeah. the fields, and then we're going to have a big There was that outside. fantastic thing on uh, last summer about the guy, the, the Venetian guy, going round the Mediterranean on a fantastic old boat. And he, I think he did some cooking in it. He did absolutely do some cooking in it. But the main thing was just look at this great boat going around the Mediterranean. Doesn't yes. it look beautiful? It's the backdrop, isn't it? It's, it's the, backdrop, the backdrop, yeah. And then here we go. Because at the end of the day, they're going, all they're ever going to cook is, here's a lovely piece of fish. Yes. Yes. Or, you know, uh, here's some cheese. Look at this it's lovely it. paella. Look at this lovely paella. That's it. You know, it's, no, you know, it's, it's never going to be anything other than that, is it? You know a bit about TV cooking. I'm married, married to a TV cook. The, uh, you know, yeah. the industry. Yes. Uh, are other countries as keen on it as we are? Uh, well, that's part of the industry I don't know anything about. I don't know, really. I don't know. I, don't, I think probably all countries... I think, well, Sylvander worked quite a lot in America at, during, at times, and they had... I think everyone had big bursts of sort of uh, TV 
cookery. Junior Charles. Yeah, and all those sort of things. Yeah, there's that film, of course, coming out now, isn't yeah. it? But, but I don't know. I don't know. I think they probably. I don't remember seeing much in Italy or Portugal or no, France I just or places like that. No, it was like a that. British fantasy of. Uh, I think it probably we'll go somewhere sun-kissed and yeah. cook on. The beach. But also, I think because we can't do. That I don't yet. think you do it much in sort of. Actually, no, they do do them in Italy. I have seen them in Italy, but it tends to be much more kind of... It's kitchen-based. It's ki- yeah, it's, it actually really is kitchen-based. Here's how to, you know, here's how to make some gnocchi. Because you know. the Italians, like the French, don't mm. like abroad, do they? No, they don't want, no, they don't like abroad, and they just certainly don't want to eat British anything from abroad. They don't want to eat anything from abroad. No, you know. <laughs> whereas the British, you know... They don't want to eat anything from Britain. They don't want anything British. No, 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 they want to, yeah, they want to have gnocchi for breakfast. Yeah. But, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> And, you know, when, yeah, even if they're in China, you know, they want to have, uh, well, they must have something Portuguese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have we finished? Have <laughs> 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 we, like? <laughs> I do, I do, it's I, over an hour. We've recorded a lot here, haven't we, Fraser? Just over an hour. There's one reason we've recorded a lot, because you're going away on your holidays, aren't you? I am, yeah. And, uh, and so we, there might be a bit, of a, a bit of a podcast holiday for a couple of weeks, because Fraser's the master of the technology. Absolutely. You presume you're going somewhere exciting. I'm visiting the communists again. Ah. I've got a few, days, you back? A few days in Beijing, uh, a week in Pyongyang, oh. a couple of days in uh, Phnom Penh. Yeah. There'll be a spy, so spy satellite actually following <laughs> him as he goes. You know, they, they follow him everywhere. As he goes around London collecting his visas yeah. to, to, to venues on the axis of evil. Well, I'd imagine they'll have a bug in your phone already. Well, I'm sure I'm going to be on a list somewhere. That's yeah. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. <laughs>